Hello, and welcome to Public Key, the new podcast from Chainalysis. This is your host, Ian Andrews. The Chainalysis 2022 State of Cryptocurrency Investigation Survey was released last month. And in this week's episode, I'm joined by my colleague, Joe Saar, in our DC studio, and we're talking about the results. Joe is a former Marine and law enforcement officer. Now he spends his days educating law enforcement on cryptocurrency and how to conduct complex blockchain investigations. We discuss how cryptocurrency has become critical in so much of the criminal activity that law enforcement is pursuing. Joe tells us how to go from discovering crypto evidence to securing search warrants, subpoenas, and seizing crypto assets. If you wanna read the full report, head to the URL in the show notes. Joined today uh, by my colleague and friend, Joe Saar. Joe, welcome to the pod. Good morning or good afternoon, I should say. It's morning time in the Pacific still. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Joe, you and I, before we started recording, uh, we're getting into a little bit of uh, your job before you joined Chainalysis. I think we're going to spend a, a bunch of time on that in our discussion today. But maybe just to to warm the audience up a little bit, how'd you first get into crypto? So it's kind of an interesting story. So um, my background was nothing cyber related. I went to undergrad for poli sci. I was an infantry officer in the Marine Corps. And then I joined local law enforcement in um, Orange County in California. And so initially I was a patrol cop doing all the things that you think a patrol cop would do chasing bad guys, getting the pursuits. I was promoted to detective after about a year and a half, and I started working street level narcotics and human trafficking. Uh, I was a SWAT guy, like a door kicker in her. And I was like more of like the action side of police work. But I went to grad school. I went to business school at USC for a veterans only program. And that was in 2017. And that was when Bitcoin started going like parabolic. You couldn't be on a business school campus without getting excited about crypto. And I remember like sitting there next to my buddy and he had his Coinbase app up. And I'm like, what are you looking at right now? He's like, dude, Bitcoin and ETH is going crazy right now. And so that led me down into the rabbit hole of like what crypto was. So I was like, let me take a look at this. And I was like, okay, this is cool. This technology is awesome. But also I was like, there's definitely criminal activity that's happening with it. So I had like read this book about the Silk Road called American Kingpin, which was awesome. And I remember telling my boss, I was like, hey, I think there's probably casework that we're missing because we haven't been looking for this. And he was like, dude, just stick to your regular cases. This is BS, you know. And, uh, this is thematically common on the show, actually. Oh, yeah. Like everybody that I asked this question to, they're like, yeah, I stumbled across it in some way and I was way early and I tried to tell everyone around me how important crypto was going to be, how relevant it was to what we're working on. And generally the response is like laughter. A hundred percent. And I remember just saying, okay, yeah, you got a boss. I'll just mind my business. Yeah. But then we ended up having this massive fentanyl trafficking case. Um, it was called Oxygod. We worked it with DEA was a primary and we were treating it like a traditional narcotics investigation. Uh, we were doing a lot of physical surveillance, uh, but essentially what the guy was doing, his crew, they were purchasing fentanyl from China and yeah. then they were pressing it into pills at this little pill shop they had set up in Newport Beach. They were shipping all this on the dark net. Once we ended up you know, doing the takedown, it was a major fentanyl seizure. And we, you know, we had a good investigation. That's when I saw Reactor for the first time. I saw Chainalysis's tool. We started- what, what year was that? Do you remember? That was 2017, 2018. Early 2018 was when wow. we did the takedown. Yeah. I was like, okay, this is awesome. I really want to dive into this a little bit more. And after that, my my boss and my team were like, yeah, dude, there's definitely cases we need to be looking at here. Yeah. So we really- Because they were moving all the fentanyl via the dark web. Yep. Mailing and, it all over. And people were buying the Bitcoin. 
Correct. Yep. And so you got the physical surveillance. Yep. But you also then had this cyber level of surveillance where you're actually seeing all the payment from buyers of drugs. Exactly. That's awesome. And so then we started working a lot of cases with with actually all the federal agencies that were because it was a small community of like crypto cops. Yeah. Essentially. And I remember we ended up having another Darknet vendor case. They were selling meth like internationally and we were intercepting parcels. I started going on the Darknet and I was doing undercover buys. And when we did the takedown for that with HSI, we ended up taking over the vendor account and I I was running it. I was so I was basically pretending to be this darknet drug lord, and uh, it was kind of funny because all these orders were coming in, and people were wanting to buy meth from me. And I was like, "Oh, it's hard being a drug dealer." <laughs> I was like, "There's a lot of a lot of pressure on me." I'm sorry, guys. We had to kind of figure out which ones we wanted to target, but we were able to like generate other cases across the country because we were finding people that were buying large quantities of meth, and then they were selling it locally. Yeah, that so, was going to be my question. Yeah, like, this wasn't just somebody buying their own personal supply yeah. for, for their drug habit. This was, you were a second or a third level dis- distributor. Correct. Yeah. Wow. So then we were doing, you know, we were doing parcel interdictions and basically revert, we were calling re- reverses and we were, you know, taking people down in other jurisdictions and it was fun. We were working a lot of cases like that. We did that a couple of times. So yeah, I was a dark net drug Lord for a little while. Uh, and that led me to Chainalysis. I eventually came here and I've been here eight months now. I'm on the training team and my job is essentially now to teach cops how to conduct these investigations, how to do tracing. Yeah. We also teach obviously private sector as well. My main mission at Chainalysis is basically to take cops from zero to one. I want them to just understand what to look for because I remember being that that new cop, like you don't know what's going on. And right. you, don't, you have no context behind anything. For them, just knowing what to look for, seeing an app on somebody's phone, like, hey, there's an Exodus wallet, maybe there's crypto in there. Because once cops know what to look for, then they can work the investigations and we That's can right. from there. And I think you know, one of the things we wanted to talk about today was this new survey that we just published. So we went out and talked to a bunch of our customers, a bunch of people that aren't our customers, and asked them how they think about crypto in law enforcement, right? So the report's called the Chainalysis 2022 State of Cryptocurrency Investigation Survey. Maybe just a high-level summary, and then we'll dive into it. Like, what did we find? Basically, what we expected, there's a lot of cops that are getting interested in it now, but they need more training and they need more resources. Yeah. But one of the big issues for them, again, like going back to not knowing what to look for, there's a need for that. There's a want for that. But also they're seeing that cryptocurrency isn't just used for illicit activity. There are good things about crypto, which is a stark contrast to when I started teaching cops about this in you know early 2018 because everybody thought it was like only used for illicit activity cops were looking at me like Wait, you're into bitcoin like yeah. are you are you a crook dude and i was like dude oh no 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 i was like i was like oh, guys trust me trust me and so now it's it's funny like back then no one wanted to listen to me about crypto now yeah. you know if i go back like the agencies that i worked with i have like a little army of crypto cops that are yeah. that are interested in this stuff yeah. So uh, the interest is definitely there. We definitely just need to get more training out, especially to the line level people, those patrol cops that are out there like hooking up bad guys every day. I think this was really interesting. We just wrapped the Crypto DC event this week here in Washington, DC. One of our partners at Celebrite sponsored the event. And Celebrite is widely used by law enforcement for digital forensics, right? Examining suspects, you know, phones or laptop devices. And one of the cool things that we've done is it turns out they've been encountering crypto related evidence all over the place. 
but both their customers, law enforcement, and even their tooling wasn't you know really set up to handle like the crypto lead. You know, it was it was just sort of passing through right. as as noise in the system. It wasn't a point of focus. And so what they were showing everybody at the event is this really neat integration where if the digital forensics tool finds a crypto address, then it can check that against uh, the chain analysis tooling and basically give the law enforcement investigator or the analyst really simple, hey, there, there's funds in this wallet. This wallet has exposure to illicit activity, right? Darknet markets mm-hmm. or uh, human trafficking or any of the other categories that chain analysis tooling looks at. And I had had a, a hunch that this would be like pretty interesting, but this was really the first time we had shown it publicly, right? Mm-hmm. We just got the, the integration done. And the response was amazing. Like people were over the moon about this. I'm curious, like when you talk to your your former colleagues in law enforcement, is the amount of crypto they're encountering going up? Like, are they starting to see wallet addresses or, Mm -hmm. or seizing devices that have wallet addresses on them? I'll start with saying the partnership with Celebrite is amazing because I did a lot of digital forensics. I use Celebrite in almost every investigation that I worked. Like literally without that tool, we solved the homicide because of that, because we were able to recover deleted information. We wouldn't have been able to solve that case otherwise without that tool. So amazing partnership that we have with them now. But when I was doing any type of crypto case, I would have to manually like parse through to look for those addresses and stuff. So to be able to see that integrated right away is a game changer, I think. It's another thing that's just gonna help cops identify it because what cops need to understand is even if your criminal, even if your suspect isn't using crypto for that illegal act, if he's purchasing crypto with ill-gotten gains, then that crypto is a seizable asset. And so if you're a local law enforcement officer, if you're a local agency, you can do civil asset forfeiture proceedings. And part of that, those funds will come back to the agency that they can use for investigative purposes. So that's a major impetus for looking for this, right? Also, whatever they're purchasing with illegal funds, we should seize that, right? That should go back to the victims or it should go to something else. But that's one of the things that hurts criminals when you actually seize their assets, right? Yep. The second part of the question was, you know, when you talk to your, your colleagues who are still in law enforcement, is the trend upward on the amount of crypto they're encountering? Like, yep. I mean, you made the point when you first started learning about crypto, mm-hmm. you went to your boss and he kind of laughed you out of the room. He's yep. like, that's not something we care about. Yeah. Has that attitude changed, do you think, a bit? Absolutely. And part of that is because of the proliferation of, of crypto in general, right? It's very easy to purchase crypto nowadays. So almost everyone is buying it. Well, I shouldn't say almost everyone, but there are a lot of people that are buying it. So you're seeing it all the time. The thing is, cops need to know what to look for. They need to understand, hey, this is a Bitcoin address yep. or hey, this is an app that allows people to buy, send and store crypto. Yep. right? Or this is a ledger or seed phrase. Once they start to look for that, once they start to know what to look for, they will find it. You know, one of the things that came up in the survey was a little more than half of the respondents said that they had a dedicated or specialized investigator focused on crypto. I have to imagine that the average, you know, law enforcement organization, like your your former employers in Orange County, there was probably not a large team of crypto focused people. Like you picked it up as a side gig because mm-hmm. you were personally interested, yeah. right? I was the one person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's got to be the mm-hmm. more common stance right now across the board, right? So, which is a challenge, right? It's like, there's an opportunity here, both as a lead and as a source of 
incremental funding and opportunity to seize those assets. When you go back and talk to your former colleagues or you interact with other organizations, you know, is that still the case where it's pretty common that, that folks only have the one person who knows a little bit about crypto, that maybe they've gone through chain analysis training, mm-hmm. maybe they've learned yeah. kind of on their own because it mm-hmm. was personally interesting to them. Is that still pretty common? Yeah, I would say it is. It's definitely starting to change. But just in terms of, you know, evidence and investigations, every agency needs to have people that understand digital evidence at this point, whether it's forensics, like using Celebrite and stuff like that, or just understanding how to write search warrants for electronic data, um, whether it's some type of social media or whatever. You need to have experts like that. And you need to have people that are constantly learning and pushing the envelope a little bit. Uh, so I think more and more we're seeing cops get interested in this, yep. but also crypto is touching all aspects of investigations at this point. So if you're not looking for this, you're missing things. And ultimately, there's victims throughout the country, throughout the world, not knowing how this works is not going to be an acceptable answer it's to say, hey, we're just not going to work this case because we don't know what Bitcoin is. That's that's not going to work. I, yeah. You know, that's actually a really mm-hmm. common perspective, I think. It's like, oh, cryptocurrency, it's a financial financial crimes related thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need to worry about that because I work narcotic or it's seen as like cyber related, mm-hmm. right? Because we particularly in the last year, like everybody's been focused on ransomware. Yep. And crypto is so intertwined with ransomware that oh, those yeah. two things have become synonymous. So mm-hmm. it's like, oh, crypto is a cyber concern. It involves computers. Mm-hmm. So the yeah, cyber yeah. guys get to deal with yeah. it. But you were telling me this fascinating story before we started recording about one of the cases you worked related to human trafficking and how cryptocurrency played into that. Maybe share that story. I worked human trafficking for a while. And once I started getting into crypto, I was I was curious if people were using crypto to either fund human trafficking or anything like that. And so I was just basically doing keyword searches for crypto and Bitcoin. And I was finding tons of prostitution ads where they were accepting crypto. And the way it works in human trafficking is the victim, she's not keeping any of that money. It's going all to the pimp, the trafficker. So however they're accepting funds, it all goes to him ultimately at the end of the day, regardless. So crypto is just another way that they're receiving payments as well. And so I actually worked a couple of cases where I sent crypto just to test it out. And I was using Reactor to kind of map out the funds where they were going from there. And I was able to cluster a number of addresses together and to identify where their cashing out points were. It touches every aspect of investigations, right? So that's human trafficking. But think about elder abuse. Like most agencies will have somebody that will work elder abuse type crimes. Some of these scams are, they're specifically targeting the elder population because they know that they're vulnerable and they'll still direct them, hey, send this crypto here. It's still touching that aspect of investigations, right? It's obviously it's used in narcotics. That's an easy one with the dark net, but it touches everything. Robberies, there's been a number of cases where people have been held at gunpoint and they're to get their private keys. There was actually a crew, I believe it was in LA. They were specifically looking for people on like local Bitcoins to do peer-to-peer transactions like cash for Bitcoin. And then they would rob them when they got there. It is all over the place. And again, just not knowing how crypto works is not an acceptable answer for your victims. Like if you were a victim, if that was your loved one, you would not want to hear a cop say, hey, I don't know what, what I'm doing here. So we're just not going to do anything about yeah. it. You know, that's, that's not going to work. You know, it was really interesting in the survey to hear this shift in perception, because what you talked about is like, hey, crypto is in every aspect of criminal activity. 
But we also saw a lot of people who responded back and said, I actually believe that crypto might improve the financial system quite a bit. I, I'm curious, like your personal perspective on this. We don't have to guess what everybody responded yeah, yeah. was thinking, but yeah. like you got interested in business school, had some you know friends and peers that sounded like who were maybe investing early mm-hmm. on, but then you got to see the the real world implication from a criminal aspect. Mm-hmm. How do you think about this? From the beginning, I, I saw that it was a crypto is a good thing. Yeah. And I think in terms of the technology, we want to grow that technology and support it here yeah. uh, because we don't want to lose that technological advantage to potentially our adversary. So I think yeah. of it in terms of a national security issue too. Yeah. Uh, so we need to lean into, into the technology itself, but also it enables so many more people to interact with the financial system. It's inclusive. I think that there's something, Bitcoin especially, there's something about it for everyone. You know, whether whatever political side of the fence you're on, I think that it's something that can bring people together, like across the aisle, essentially. Yeah. And we saw that yesterday at Crypto DC. We had two senators on. One was a Republican, one was a Democrat. It was amazing. And it was it was great. And everybody was talking about this and was like, yes, this is good. Let's lean into this. We, we want to be talking more. We want to be friends. Initially, cops were super... Uh, suspect of it. They thought it was only crooks, but that's that's obviously not the case anymore. Yeah. And I'm, I always ask when I'm training cops in the very beginning, I say, hey, just raise your hand if you have crypto. And initially, no, like maybe one or two people. Yeah. And I would always joke, I'd be like, that's a bad guy over there. You know, and everyone would laugh, like single the person out. And I'll be like, no, I'm kidding, of course. But now I ask that question and generally like three quarters of the class raises their hand. It's just crazy how far it's come just in a few years. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. This brings up a good point. So your role at Chain Analysis, you're out there actually educating law enforcement and other Chain Analysis customers on the cryptocurrency ecosystem and helping them learn how to use our tools. Like, talk me through, like, what's that like? I've never worked law enforcement personally, obviously, mm-hmm. but let's say that I I am, right? And I get the opportunity to come to your training class. Like, I've never touched crypto before. Yeah. Like, what's that starting point like? We got to take them from zero to one, right? Yeah. We need to go through the very, very basics how, what started this? What was the impetus for Bitcoin's creation? So we talked them through that, how it started, how the first transactions were, how somebody paid 10,000 Bitcoins for a pizza and things like that, that hurt you when you think about the cost of that today. And I'll, maybe I'll tell some personal stories about how I spent Bitcoin on a couple of beers in Prague. And now those were the most expensive beers I've, I've ever do bought. You, do you remember how much you spent? I want to say, I think my buddy and I had like four beers, you know, beers were cheap, right? The price of Bitcoin was, you know, $6,000 at the time, yeah. 6,000 a coin or so. Yeah. So those were easily the most expensive beers that I've ever purchased. <laughs> uh, you know, I've heard Jonathan Lovin tell a story once where he was buying one Bitcoin per beer yeah. in, in the UK. And I was like, holy cow, that is, <laughs> that is terrible. That would hurt me to think about. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're yeah. getting people from this yeah. zero to one, like you get the origin story of cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Where did Bitcoin come from? Yep. You're leading them down the you know, why are there now more than just Bitcoin? There's Ethereum mm-hmm. and everything else in the ecosystem. And then what comes next? We need to explain how transactions work. You know, there's different levels to the classes that we're teaching, right? Some we're going into really advanced uh, tracing and investigations. Yep. Others were like, I just want you to be able to spot it, be able to recognize when crypto is there, because then you know, we have it here, we need to take some other steps, or maybe we need to call an expert, somebody who knows a little bit more to kind of help out with this case. But step one is just being able to identify it and see it. I get them through that. And then I like to go through a bunch of case studies. So I have my own cases that I worked. So I'll I'll use those as examples. Uh, But there's tons of cases out there that have now been litigated, right? They've gone through the entire court process. The Silk Road obviously was the first, first big one. But I want investigators to look at those cases because since they've gone through trials and, and appeals, 
They're all litigated. That's established case law. So cops can use that for their own training experience, which they can use in court as for expert testimony or when they're writing search warrants and subpoenas. I think that's actually a really interesting point because mm-hmm. that's the part of police work that never shows up on the TV shows, yeah. which is how the average people, I imagine, listening to this, like that's how they experience police work. Yeah. If they haven't, if they haven't uh, ever had that job directly. Mm-hmm. But you know, I've read some of the like statements of facts, yep. affidavits oh, yeah, from yeah. investigators that have gone along with these cases. They're complex. Oh, totally. And when you get into cryptocurrency, it's like it's really complex. I yep. would imagine subpoenas are similar when you're trying to identify a suspect. Mm-hmm. Like it's not the final step when you're like, oh, this person's trying to cash out at an exchange with KYC. Great, yep. I can go get an identity there. Mm-hmm. That's like the start of the paperwork process. Oh yeah. Like take me through what it looks like to to create a subpoena in a crypto case. With a search warrant, you start out with laying your training experience. Um, which we can use our training at Chainalysis as part of that, right? We have certification specifically for this. Uh, And then you lay out the facts of the case. So one of the challenges for investigators is you, one, you have to explain this to a prosecutor. Sometimes prosecutors might know it. You might have cyber-specific prosecutors. Sometimes they don't, so you'll have to train them. But when you're going to actually get a search warrant, a judge has to sign off on it, right? Uh, And judges aren't going to look at a search warrant and just haphazardly sign it. They need to verify that there is probable cause there. Every time I was writing search warrants for crypto related crimes, I had to train the judge. I had to teach the judge about it. I had like a list of books and articles and case law so that I could provide it to the judge and I could speak intelligently about it. And so it got to the point where uh, there were certain judges that they just at this point I had trained them. So when they would see me in court, they they know right away that they had a crypto like dark net related case. But that was fun. You know, yeah. and I, I like doing that. Yeah. But as an investigator, you need to be prepared for that. Right. Yeah. So it's really important that uh, you get that training, you get that experience. Part of that is reading those litigated cases uh, so you can get draw on that experience from other investigators. And then I would assume if these cases are going to trial, like you don't get an automatic guilty plea from the suspect. Right. You're getting called to testify and you've got to explain this to a jury. Exactly right. Yeah. So yeah. like the prosecutor and the judge have a professional interest to understand what you're explaining to them, right? That's, of course. That's their job. A jury, you've got a wide range of experience and background yep. and they're there basically as volunteers, mm-hmm. right? Doing a civic duty. Yep but certainly have no professional obligation to understand the evidence or the here's how Bitcoin transactions work Mm -hmm. or anything like that. So that must have been wild to prepare for that. You know, some of the stuff is regular everyday people don't know any of the details here. So you need to walk them through that. You need to paint the picture, tell the story. You need to be able to lay out the foundation as to why you believe that whatever, you know, criminal activity is occurring is occurring. Right. So you need to be able to talk them through, like, what is a Bitcoin transaction? How does the dark net work? What do people do on the dark net? How do they make their money? How do they liquidate? How do they launder? Being able to explain to the jury and explain to the judge what happened, why you know that your suspect committed some type of illegal act is crucial for your case, right? You need to be able to do that. And Bitcoin and crypto is just another aspect of criminal investigations. And you need to be able to talk through that uh, intelligently. Um, That's a big part of what we do here. You know, we we have experts at Chainalysis because we've worked these cases before. We work these cases all the time. Um, And so we, we need to train investigators so that they can do the same thing.
That was the biggest takeaway for me on the survey was there's interest. There's a recognized need. Broadly across all the respondents, folks said, hey, we, we need more capability as it relates to crypto because it's showing up in so many different types of cases. And so much of that is education and training. I had often thought about it until we started chatting as being, oh, it's really tracing funds. Like, how do I look at transactions in, in Reactor and find my way to a fiat on-ramp off-ramp where mm-hmm. I can potentially get identification on a suspect? Right. But the point you're making is that's not anywhere close to the end of the process. And a lot a lot of times that's actually the beginning of the process mm-hmm. because then you you go from that kind of evidence collection to okay, now we need search warrant. Ultimately, you know, it's coming to trial. And there's a ton of work there mm-hmm. and other people in the ecosystem beyond law enforcement. You've got prosecutors, you've got judges that you also need to help build expertise on. Yeah. It's a it's a big challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, the tracing aspect is huge. Uh, understanding what, exactly what you said, where yeah. where their on ramps and off ramps are, yeah. and finding how they're cashing out. But also, again, I need to take investigators initially from zero to one. I just need them to be able to identify it, and then we can go from there, right? We can make decisions about what needs to happen next. Are we going to do a seizure right then on the spot, or is there like more to this case than than met the eye initially, right? Just getting them to that point is huge because once they see it, once they can identify it they're going to spot it. It's going to happen. Just like the story initially with the OxyGuide case, I was like, hey, let's look for Bitcoin in, in some of our cases. And then boom, we found it. And then we were finding it over and over and over again. Yeah. And since it's so easy to get crypto at this point, both good and bad guys are buying crypto. So if you have a suspect, again, that's purchasing crypto with ill-gotten gains, that's a seizable asset, right? Yeah. We need to go after that. We shouldn't be missing out on that, especially if somebody's parking a lot of their funds there getting from illicit activity. Well, I mean, we have a partnership with a firm called Asset Reality. Danny Haston, our colleague, right. like, full-time focused on this asset realization, because I think this is a big part of where law enforcement around the world is starting to think more and more about this opportunity to either return funds to victims of criminal activity or to fund further capabilities within the department to address these types of crime. It's a pretty amazing program. Aiden Larkin, the CEO of uh, Asset Reality, he and I have talked about having him on the podcast. We haven't done it yet. But when we do, we'll update the show notes. I'm shocked that I, that I got here before Aiden. <laughs> it, part of it is because he's in Wales. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point. You that were here a, in DC. Yeah, yeah, so. that made it a little bit easier. <laughs> the other thing I was going to mention is we recently launched the new Chainalysis Academy. So for people that haven't checked it out yet, we'll link to it in the show notes. It is uh, self-service. Almost all the content is free. So for anyone that is listening to the podcast and going, hey, I want to get where Joe is describing. I want to go from zero to one or one to two. I think the Academy is the place to start. It's a pretty great resource. Yeah, definitely. Uh, There's tons of great videos on there. I've watched all of them. Uh, I'm creating some myself. I was going to say, have you created some of the stuff that's in there? We're actually working on building out stuff specifically for investigators where it's like, hey, getting them from zero to one and with more case studies specifically like Darknet related and asset forfeiture. Actually, I was talking to Danny about that yesterday uh, because we were like, hey, we need to go through this process to help agencies understand what the steps are and what the issues they might run into. Uh, There was actually a great panel uh, for the day zero for Crypto DC. And they were talking about like some of the investigators that were on the panel uh, were talking about issues that they were having like, oh, we need ETH to make uh, transfers, right? For gas fees and stuff like that. So how do you justify sending ETH to a suspect's wallet 
uh, from a government account, right? So that you can move it, right? These are the little things that pop up with crypto that are kind of weird. We need to talk through them because we need to anticipate them. And the other thing with, with seed phrases, if you have a suspect that has crypto, you, you might need to move those funds pretty quickly because they have the ability to recreate that wallet, right? And move those funds. So you might think that you seized eight Bitcoin, right? We're talking tens of thousands of dollars. But if you just throw that ledger or that phone with that app on it into evidence, that crypto is going to be gone. You're going to go back into evidence a day later and they'll have moved those funds, right? So this is a great kind of a technical point for folks that maybe aren't quite as familiar with this. Most wallets have a feature where you can input a 12 or a 24 word phrase, often called mm -hmm. a seed phrase. And that allows you to effectively restore a wallet. So kind of a backup and what that means is, you know, oftentimes people might do it if, if their phone got blown away, they mm -hmm. want to be able to restore, they upgraded their phone to the new version of iPhone 14 comes out, you want to migrate your wallet to the new phone, you're going to use this seed phrase. But what you're saying is you arrest the suspect, they're in possession of maybe a hardware crypto wallet, like mm -hmm. a ledger, or you realize they've got crypto on their phone and something like a MetaMask, you've seized the device, you're physically holding it in evidence, mm -hmm. but the suspect leaves, maybe they, they bond out or you don't arrest right. them for some reason. They know that seed phrase. They can actually recreate the wallet that you think you're in possession of and then transfer funds from that wallet to something you're no longer in possession of. And it's it's in the wind. Yeah. And that's that's obviously a major issue for you because you need to you need to act quickly to move those funds, right? If you've written a report and you said I've seized this amount of cryptocurrency, right? And then those funds were moved because you did not transfer them yourself. You have an issue because yeah, right. You have a report that says I got all this crypto, and you actually don't have anything, right? So investigators. That's amazing. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, and that's that's definitely like one of the unique challenges that crypto kind of yeah. like poses for yeah. us, right? Teaching investigators to anticipate these things, and there's a lot of these, a lot of the things that come up are mistakes or issues that we've already run into. So it's like, hey, don't make the same mistakes <laughs> or issues that we've had. You know, let's let's train you so that you can get around them and, and be yeah. more efficient. That's why I love the training team here. Like it's experts like yourself who've actually done the job, right? You, you were former law enforcement. Mm -hmm. We have people who worked as compliance officers at right. banks and exchanges. Like the range of expertise covers all of our customers who are coming to us for training, which is, which is pretty amazing. Well, Joe, thank you for spending some time with me. I know you got to catch a flight back to the West Coast. This has been a ton of fun. I've learned a lot. We're going to link to Academy in the show notes. So if you're listening and you're excited to learn more about any of the topics we've covered today, the best place to start is Chainalysis Academy. Joe, thank you oh, so yeah. much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Public Key. We release new episodes weekly. So if you liked what you heard, then don't forget to subscribe review, and of course, share with your friends. Here's something to think about while you wait on our next episode. We've estimated that almost 2 billion in cryptocurrency has been stolen from cross-chain bridges across 13 separate attacks so far this year. Those attacks on cross-chain bridges account for almost 70% the total stolen funds that we've traced this year. If you want more information about bridge protocols and the recent rise of hacks, head to the show notes for the link to the most recent Chainalysis blog post.